This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. Beacons are lit! Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Amandine! Somewhere in the foothills of Farinorian, hope is medium rare. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say, Wagandor forever! This is episode number 9555, and I am your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shield Swipe, the Earl of Agro, Reflector, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. Broadcasting live from temporary LTB, MEWHQ, Faf and Ferrothelion. And, well, it's kind of a split podcast. I was in Mickle Delving, cooking up a storm, but right now I am sitting on the rib cage of a dead dragon in the depths of Scarhald. I have noticed lately that the uh, the first floor entrance to Scarhald has become quite a meeting place. A lot of people gathering there, more than I'd seen. Uh, you know, maybe more and more tunes are congregating here around the dailies that get conducted, uh, you know, and looking to group up for runs and so forth. Uh, Scarhold remains a bit of a mystery, although with my this is my third major tune that's gone through and all the quests in there, and I have found the key turn that allows you to go up to the top platform as opposed to the western reaches. Um, but the complex really does sprawl, and uh, it takes a while to get used to if you're going to be navigating it. I do wish there was like a... A horse down here at the bottom, one of those clicky horses that would take you up to the top platform after you'd done it, you know, the first time and found it and discovered it. You know, they've got all those horns that are up there that, uh, uh, you know, will take you to the entrances of some of the uh, some of the dungeons in the area, but nothing that helps you traverse up and down the steps, which you happen to need to do a quite a number of times. So I'm sitting here staring at a giant bare butt in my face from wild stack repulsor of savages of the spirits of gladrung and i probably see let me see how many tunes here one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirty four at least 25 30 tunes kind of scattered about the floor here i myself have finished my uh, resource instance dailies on this tune for today uh i'll talk a little bit about that as we move forward in game and i've also been cooking up a storm with my cook and mickledaling which is why i mentioned that earlier but uh heck this is kind of a, a sneak beacon coming out on a monday night so i think i better move forward it is a school night we can't afford to stay up too late although i think i'm going to break and go get an ale what am i thinking it is milla time okay we have returned and uh ah uh, That's a tab, as far as you know. Um, the best tab in these hills come from Yarnfast. Good mineral content. Um, used to be a beer called the Yarnfast City Beer, or Yarn City. Used to be sitting pretty in Yarn City. I don't know. 
I guess unless you're from Pittsburgh, which is kind of near Gundabad, you wouldn't have had before. Uh, you know, just to be different for Elanok, our second beacon, we're going to deal with a lot of CRAP. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So last time out we offended the Burglar Devs, uh, the Pelinor Prognosticators, Michael Myers Impressionists. I think I did like an Austin Powers thing. So uh, Michael Myers Impressionists. I'm talking about the SNL guy, not the Halloween killer. And the vocal copycatters, Impressionists, not the painters, uh, when I did the Austin Powers thing. And still elves. And, you know, I have to remind myself about this stuff, so you guys probably don't even remember anyway. And to everyone that was offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt... Sorry. Viewer comments. Um, you know you're not viewers. Let's check the leaderboard. The last review of the podcast was left by Pomdier on August 14th, 2018. He currently has our high score. He's been hanging in there for quite a number of months. So... Let me see. What are we going to do? We're going to make sure that our papers aren't stuck together. As always, if you want to join this microcosm of reviewers, then what you can do is just leave me an iTunes review. Or alternatively, if you should so choose, if you write your custom comments on wax parchment, crumple them up, and eat them, and regurgitate, regurgitate the remainders into a horn of Dwarodelf, which you then blow three times on the third Thursday of March at 3.33 p.m., then I will receive thy comments forthwith. Uh, viewer feedback, none. I must be boring. Uh, from Twitter, whole bunch, but nothing of note. Community spotlight, Winterstock. I stopped by Winterstock in Louis this past weekend and enjoy taking in a song or two. Landerville seems as engaged with these musical events as ever. There was a great crowd. Uh, the songs were very well choreographed. There were, I think it was the Rolling Kegs I saw, as I recall. Um, the costumes are fantastic. It's very festive. Eridluene Pond is a great place for a concert. Um, you know, I... I I think like two songs is about all I can take usually. And then I need to go do other things. So I, I'm so glad that we have these musical events. And I'm so glad there are people that want to go and hang out all weekend long. I just can't do it myself. But, uh, but it's always nice to stop in and see the festivities and do a little bit of dancing. Bragg did some dancing. Um, what else? Community spotlight. I did want to note a tweet, a twit, a twat. Somebody twatted me this week. And uh, there was a reference to a new website that I had not seen before called Material Middle Earth Outfit Ideas for Lord of the Rings Online. It's materialmiddleearth.blogspot.com. And they've got a new article on the Lotro Store Weapon Skins collections and some fantastic high level of detail portraits of uh, some of the Lotro Store options. And I had not seen a lot of these skins before. There are some really pretty things out there. Some wonderful halberds, hammers, axes, uh, you know, festooned with gems and sparkling with gold and silver and some really nice detail on some of these. So uh, if you are interested in spicing up your cosmetic lifestyle, I do recommend you go check out 
materialmiddleearth.blogspot.com. There's an article specifically that just came out on Lotro Store Weapon Skins Collections and some really cool stuff in there that I had not seen before. Very tempting. I don't usually buy cosmetics from the store. There's enough cool stuff that you can find in-game typically, but some of these designs uh, definitely caught my eye. What else has been going on from a community spotlight? Um, I would say, you know, just from world chat, which is uh, something I don't usually comment on. I've seen a lot of discussions these past few weeks of the lack of raiding kins that are out there on the different servers. There's people constantly asking, what server should I go to if I want to do raids? What's the biggest raiding kin server out there? And, uh, you know, Landerville's not considered one of the bigger ones because they're considered more of an RP server. RP and raids typically don't mix, although there's certainly plenty of people that do both. Um, it's not always the biggest Venn diagram overlap you're going to find out there, though. And, uh, you know, there are raiding kins on Landerville. I hear two or three names bandied about as big raiding kins, but, you know, there definitely seem to be fewer and farther between than they used to be. And, uh, you know, what other kins go out and do that? Or what other servers go out and do that as much? I, you know, I don't know if, uh, by reputation which ones are, you know, bigger for that type of thing. Like, for example, I know Arkenstone is supposed to be one of the bigger PVMP servers right now, although PVMP is kind of hurting all over the place. But there's been a lot of discussion about, um, you know, the lack of raids, uh, the lack of organized, you know, it just seems like, the latest raids and some of the latest tier two and tier three content, uh, very difficult to pug, um, even on tier one. You know, I wish we could see a difficulty level where tier one was puggable with practice and with people that were dedicated and had good gear. Uh, and it just seems like you know pugs have no chance in tier one. It, you know, back in the days when. When they were thrown raids and people got a little, you know, maybe a little bit over geared or leveled, you could run tier one raids uh, for Throne of Dread Terror um, using pugs, but not as much with Abyss of Mordath and uh, certainly not for Anvil of Winterstith from what I've seen so far. So I think there's a reaction that there's a lot of people interested in raiding that aren't in raiding kins. Raiding kins aren't as uh, familiar as that, you know, when you had more raiding kins, then it would be more common for someone to say hey we got 10 or 11 tunes we'll pick up two from world chat and you'd be able to get any, maybe get in lucky with a you know with a pug that was being run with a raiding kin and uh you know with a, a group that really knew what they were doing and could help tutor the others and then as the the puggables got uh you know the puggables as i call myself got more and more familiar with the raid then they could help others and the pugs got more and more successful right so the lack of raiding kins leads to less runs, which leads to less pugs, which leads to less people that know the raid, which leads to less success. So I'm finding that trend a little bit sad. And I wonder if SSG might want to consider going forward, uh, you know, making tier one of raids calibrated to the point where uh, solidly geared pugs have a legitimate shot of advancing uh, over time. And save two tier two, three, four more organized raids and, you know, diehards. You've got three tiers now. They should be used to great effect. So that's just some a lot of discussion about that, uh, different ins and outs, and people weighing in on different opinions I've seen in world chat of late. And I agree with a lot of the opinions there. What's going on in the forums? Well, there was a lot of conversation about the exploit that was involved in the Winterstith raid. Um, so Winterstith raid about two weeks ago was closed. Soon after it opened, you know, within five days it had closed again. 
and uh, at the same time there was a problem with the store so people weren't getting uh, so the store was closed because people weren't receiving their items when they bought things from the store so the store issue was fixed very quickly <laughs> and people a lot of people had a comment to say hey the store's back up already how come they haven't fixed the raid yet well i think the raid fix was a lot more involved from what i can tell it was a problem with people being able to endlessly raid uh loot the chests that they had unearthed i think you could basically uh loot the chest um uh log out with your tune log in with another tune come back in loot the chest and everybody could basically cycle through all their alts and within the first day you know everybody had all the loot because uh because of this exploit so so apparently they fixed that up which is good um there was also a recent announcement by cordovan confirming that there is no pvmp planned on the legendary servers with the moria release which will be march ish moria will be released on the legendary servers in the march time frame approximately and there were a lot of people that reacted extremely negative to the fact that there's no PVMP saying they have nothing to do. They're saying they've gotten to the end of NCAP, they've been through all the raids, and now all they can do is wait for Moria, and they're sitting around. And in the meantime, they have to keep up a, B a VIP subscription in order to be able to stay active on the server, uh, and they've got nothing to do. So PVMP is... You know, historically served a purpose that if people were at NCAP and had their best gear and had done all the raids and everything, you could go out and PVMP and work on your rankings until such time as new content was available. So I agree that's a legitimate viewpoint. However, I, I do say, you know, for the people that raced through all 50 levels and ran all the content and got all the gear you could possibly out of Shadows of Angmar, um, you know, these are on a four-month release cycle. <laughs> I, I'm on level, I think my cappy is on level 35. Uh, you know, I've been playing here and there. I've been playing hours every night, but I'm playing a couple times a week, maybe an hour or two over there. And uh, I'm enjoying the ride just fine. And I think I'll probably get to end cap maybe just a week or two before the next release comes out. You know, with time to run, hopefully, Karndoom and Rift and Urugarth and Heligrod and all that stuff. Plenty of stuff to be able to do. So, so I guess it, it all depends on your perspective. Again, what was your objective? Was it to get to level 50 in the first week of the Legendary Server's release and then complain that you've got nothing to do? Or was it a side activity that you could do outside of the regular servers? You know, you could always come back and PVMP um, in the regular servers if you're VIP. So, you know, I, I see both sides of the argument. But there was a lot of hand-wringing around the fact that no PVMP was planned for the legendary servers. And uh, I do think it would be difficult for them to go back and recalibrate the creeps uh, on a release-by-release -release basis. Um, that would uh, probably take a lot of work to do. So I kind of understand why they why they haven't do it. You know, meanwhile, back in the real world, my, my cappy's only level 35. And uh, lastly, there was a lot of commentary regarding uh, Dev Vastin, who's revamping the Minstrel class. Um, overall, he's increasing the individual powers of the heals, but also increasing the cooldown times of a lot of the skills in an effort to introduce more rotational variety in the skills for the Minstrel. So the biggest complaint is removing, there was a skill previously, Soliloquy of Spirit, called SOS, uh, that was basically um, used as a way, because it was an immediate skill that would fire as soon as you hit it, it would interrupt the animations of other skills that were caught up, so people were using it repeatedly as an animation interrupt. 
So if you hit, let's say, Bolster Kirsch and it had a big ending flourish where you're hitting your loot and raising your hand over your head, as soon as it went off, you could hit Soliloquy of Spirit and interrupt it and go on to your next skill without having to wait for it, the animation to end before you could trigger your next skill. So people were using it repeatedly as an inter animation interrupt, and many are upset that their effectiveness will be hugely impacted by the fact that Soliloquy of Spirit will now have a, a slight induction so you can't use it in that capacity anymore. And Vastin is arguing that this is an unintended workaround and the correct approach would be to reduce the animation timelines, which he is attempting to do. He's not an animator, but he can cut them short for now and let the animators kind of fix it later, making the animation fit the new time frame. So I see where he's coming from. You know, you shouldn't have to interrupt your animation. The animation should be timed correctly to the point where it's not delaying you and doing additional skills. Um, so... Glad to see the Minstrel is getting a pass, and Vastin is one of the devs, uh, as in the past, I think he did the, the last one he did was maybe the Bjorning updates, and there was a lot of interaction where he had feedback from everybody, and, uh, kind of gave his thoughts on how things were coming, and what he was doing, um, so he was one of the more interactive devs that are out there, so I think it's good news for the Minstrel class that he is working on their revamp. And people need to calm down and give him some chance to do some work. <laughs> there were a lot of people just up in arms about, you know, we have all this feedback we've given you and you're not react, you're not doing the things we told you to. You're doing whatever you want. And yes, the feedback's valuable. I'm sure he's going through it. But he has to do it in stages with the time that he has available. So hope people will give him a chance to, to do things. And, uh, you know, like I said, he's one of the more communicative devs. So I'm sure he is seeing our feedback and uh, hopefully we'll be acting accordingly by the time all is said and done. So, in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. Woohoo! We're going to review a series of quests from North Athelion, highlighting the Variag. We'll discuss the top ten things you probably won't see in the producer's letter, if it ever comes out. And if there's any time remaining, we will start over at the beginning. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving on to our third beacon of Nardal. Welcome to Nardal. Alright, what's been going on with other games? Uh, let me see. I've been playing Clash of Clans. I still, I gotta mention this. I'm very excited. A, I upgraded my builder base. Finally. It's been a while coming. And B, I've got uh, currently in construction my Eagle Artillery, which should be done by tomorrow. Eagle Artillery is a pre one of the most dangerous uh, home defenses that you can have uh, out there for the um, for your your establishment in Clash of Clans. And I think it makes a big difference. I don't usually like attacking people that have Eagle Artilleries that are fully fueled. So they are scary, they are effective, and I will soon have one, which is exciting. Kind of a milestone. Um, Star Trek Online. Uh, last week I put out a call for help on Twitter. Uh, asking, hey, if you were this level and you seemed kind of stuck and didn't know where to go and what to do to improve, um, what would you do? And I received no feedback aside from a reminder to maybe check out the wiki. So I guess I'll be doing my own research on that one. If you're a Star Trek Online expert and want to give me a hand, contact me via uh, email or via DM and let me know. Uh, aside from that, I've been playing a lot of Spider-Man for the PS4. I'm about 35-40% through the main story. And oh my gosh, this is super, sun, super fun so far. 
Um, just a great combination of, um, you know, exploration objectives, research objectives. There's constantly, as you're swinging around the city, there's constantly things coming up in your ears about like J. Jonah Jameson complaining about you doing this or the police chief notifying you of that or Mary Jane asking you to meet you here. So there's always something to do. And in the meantime, there's always crimes popping up on the map as you swing by. Every once in a while, a crime will be happening right in your vicinity and you'll get a, like a little vector to it. And uh, the crimes seem to have a, a good deal of variety, any, anywhere from, you know, break-ins to, uh, to muggings to kidnappings to, you know, car chases where cars are careening around the, the map and you have to try to... Uh, you have to try to swing fast enough that you can catch up with them and web them and jump on the roof and pull the guys out of the car and throw them down. Um, you know, people trapped in flaming cars where you got to rip the doors off and get them out of there before they get hurt. And just an interesting variety, a uh, lot of fun. I'm finally starting to feel a little more powerful in combat as I build up some of the skills that you're able to do and uh, able to get through the construction sites by Fisk, which, uh, you know, usually amongst the more challenging content away from the, the, the main storyline with multiple waves of guys coming out, sometimes 20 at a time. Um, so, geez, it's just really well done and fun to play. And uh, I could see myself playing it even past the, the main storyline once I'm done with it. Um, and a strong contender to buy the DLC for it that's available already. The Teen Dwarfs have been playing Breath of the Wild and penetrating that storyline very effectively. I think uh, they should be maybe getting to the end of the main story soon if they wish to, although apparently there's still plenty of world to explore and things to do in that game as well. It's very sprawling. Uh, from Dungeons and Dragons perspective, we got a few, uh, few play sessions in over the winter break holidays. The oldest teen dwarf uh, went back to school at the School of Thammerdain just uh, in the last week or so. So we completed the encounter at Old Owlwell and headed to Thunder Tree and pretty much cleaned up Thunder Tree except for the green dragon that awaits in the tower for the next time that we come home. So leaving a good deal of dispense, suspense for, uh, for that next play session that's coming there. And uh, it does look, I warned them, this looks like a dangerous monster. You guys better be fully ready or somebody going to get killed, which uh, could be very sad. Uh, so there's more games still on the horizon. I haven't played yet. Monster Hunter, Super Mario Odyssey. Um, youngest just got Donkey King Country Tropical Freeze for his birthday. You know what's hard? You know what's really hard? Taking away a Teen Dwarf's video games when they're behind at school. Uh, it makes me feel guilty because I'm supposed to set a good example. So it eats into my playing time, right? When I have to do the solidarity thing as a parent. <sighs> Uh, the, the parental gamer, the challenges of the parental gamer. Um, let me see movie reviews. Uh, the local movie theater, which does a great classic film series, recently screened Godfather 2, which I had not seen in many, many, many years. So that was a good time to go out and check out and uh, brought some of the some of the youngins who had not seen it before. So we screened The Godfather at home as prep preparation, proper preparation for going to see Godfather 2 in the theaters. And I have to say, seeing them back to back like that, which I'd never done, uh, the first one is probably my favorite in terms of the cohesion of the story and how well it hangs together. Uh, 2 obviously has its moments as well and is a nice end cap. Uh, but... Uh, to me, the first one is the superior of the two, although it's kind of like comparing, you know, two Picassos next to each other. They're both uh, magnificent in their own ways. 
Um, I also, off my backlog Netflix DVD list, I got to The Dark Tower, which is an adaptation of a Stephen King novel starring Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Um, I think this is a movie that seriously could have done better if not for Matthew McConaughey's hairstyle. <laughs> he did this, like, greased-down, slick, black-dyed hairstyle that looked so incongruous that it was, like, distracting every scene he was in. I actually thought he was a pretty decent villain. And uh, had a decent performance, but the, the hair choice was so distracting that it took away from his performance. It might have sank the whole movie, as far as I'm concerned, because I thought the rest of it was decent. Uh, you know, the, the big problem with that storyline is it's one of Stephen King's biggest epics, uh, you know, seven books. Um, you know, sprawling masterpiece, but they had to boil it all down into, you know, basically one two-hour movie. So uh, they had to take a lot of um, a lot of liberties with the, with the overall tone of the series and lost a lot of the main characters and so forth. Uh, but I was glad I seen it since I spent uh, the time reading the books and uh, I did enjoy portions of it as well. Um, I also watched... Since it's Oscar season, I caught up with an Oscar winner from, I think, four or five years ago that I'd never seen, The Hurt Locker, um, which uh, starred Jeremy Renner and was directed by Catherine Bigelow. I, I did enjoy it. I like war movies. I like the realism. I like uh, some of the what they brought to the table as far as uh, depicting the conflict and the you know a lot of the challenges that the soldiers there faced. Um, I thought the... The movie was a little disjointed, and it wasn't as powerful as I thought it would be going in. Uh, but it was effective for what it was, and I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it. And then, lastly, just this week, we went out as a family and saw The Favorite in theaters. Um, this is a movie with a lot of interesting cinematography, a lot of interesting um, camera techniques, the way things were shot. The music is spectacular and is sometimes used to very jarring effect. Um, the way it's orchestrated, uh, the, the pounding of certain kind of discordant sounds that come to the screen over and over to hammer home a particular plot point or, you know, uh, inflection in the story. And, uh, you know, overall, I liked it a lot. I thought it was maybe five or ten minutes, a little too long, about 75, 80 percent of the way in. I said, OK, I get the idea. I'd like them to figure out a way to wrap this up. But it does have some great performances, and I have a feeling one or more of the actors may be recognized for that when uh, when all is said and done. I give it an outside chance at the Oscar race. Outside chance. Uh, but it was good, especially if you like period pieces. And uh, Rachel Wise um, and Emma Stone, uh, both quality performances, as well as the actress who played the queen, whose name escapes me right now. Okay, so that wraps up the movies for now. Let's go on to books. Um, reading Tokian's Unfinished Tales. I still haven't finished Tokian's Unfinished Tales. Isn't that apropos? Lotro. What's going on from a Lotro perspective? This is a Lotro podcast, right? Well, there's a producer's letter that should be in the offing sometime, but it's not here yet. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But one of the reasons I got this podcast out was that I read it, I wrote it, I read it, I read it up. It's been ridded. I wrote it. And uh, it doesn't talk about the producer's letter. And I wanted to make sure it actually uh, premiered before the producer's letter came out. So I didn't look behind the times. Uh, what's been going on with Bragg? Bragg ran a Dome of Stars uh, featured instance run last week. And our group never got by the initial MUMAC. And, 
you know, Doma Stars is a, a challenging run for a featured instance, but one that's been around for a long time. They significantly amped up the difficulty with the move to level 120, and I've I've tanked this before with my with my guard many times, uh, well at least several times, and never had a problem, especially in the first Mumak fight. You know, maybe it took one or two iterations to get through it, but we but we did it in each in each case. And, uh, you know, I felt like I was sturdy enough for us to have won the fight and perhaps the mix of classes or DPS that we had wasn't sufficient because uh, the archers were taking down some of the weaker classes too easily and then uh, we'd get ourselves into trouble. So, um, I, you know, I do think that and Silent Street, which is in the featured instance uh, circulation now, are both a little more involved and a little more difficult with some mechanics that, uh, you know, might beyond some pugs if they don't have people that have run them before so you know i think people are used to the featured instance being basically a cakewalk where you can ignore mechanics and especially with the move to 120 and with the inclusion of some of these uh, more involved instances that's not the case anymore um i would say the difficulty level for cap level instances still appear to be very high versus everyone's mitigations where they are in the gearing curve right now uh, so, you know, hopefully people will catch up as they continue to gear, but, uh, you know, it's it's not a done deal that you'll get through some of these instances, depending on what you run now. Let me see. I'm sure there's plenty of people that say, oh, my gosh, it's so easy. I can't believe it with my 300,000 morale. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, number four, I opened up the Howling Pit with Bragg, and I, have, I went in there uh, as a solo and got through the first wave or two, soloing with my guard. And I'm like, this isn't that tough. And then a tentacle picked me up and dangled me until I was dead. <laughs> so, uh, spoiler alert, there's a tactic in there that makes it not soloable. And that's the fact that you can get dangled, much like you could uh, from the days of the Watcher raid. Uh, the reward for the Howling Pit, if you manage to finish it, which I think is you know, a series of seven or eight waves of basically dark... Uh, dark maw creatures and things of that nature. Um, the reward appears to be gold shoulders with no stats in them. It's almost like an Isengard necklace that maybe can be upgraded later on or can have another piece that you can attach to it that can give it some worth in the long run. So people are waiting to see what happens with that. And uh, from what I've seen, the devs are being a little closed, closed mouths about what that is. But if I get a group to do the Howling Pit, which is described as a very challenging instance, uh, I will let you know, maybe next time around. The one thing I did want to mention to folks that I've seen people complain about is that it requires Light of a Rendell. Um, so I should say it doesn't require it. You can do it without. It's just going to be really hard because you're going to lose you know, half your morale and power from Shadow of Mordor that's escaping from the fissure that the creatures escape from. So... Uh, so I've seen some people and, and now for the other alts, I've come, you know, as I've upgraded gear from, from Bragg and I've gotten, you know, the innate, uh, light of Arendel that you get from leveling from 115 to 120, I've discarded my old gear. And what I'm doing now is some of the other tunes that I've brought up, I've kept the gear pieces just in case, uh, having light of Arendel will make that instance a lot easier. Uh, but I think it is doable. Uh, even without full light because the new gear is a lot more powerful. So if you get geared enough, you should be able to do it without L LOE. But you might want to keep a couple pieces of gear with your highest level um, of Light of Arendil around just in case you want to do the Howling Pit using it. And uh, if I get more intel on that, I'll share it with you as I do. 
So Bragg's upgraded a few essences on his gear. His tactical mitigations were up from 30% to almost 40%, which is still not good enough. Uh, I think a 45% was the last I checked it. I've had to dump a lot of other essence stats like critical defense, resistance, finesse, and just stack. Mitts, 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 mitts. All that matters is mitts. Mitts, 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 mitts. Um, you're supposed to get up to almost 200k tactical mitigations uh, and 200k morale if you want to raid as a guard right now uh, from what I've heard. And that's a lot. Uh, so that requires top level essences and a lot of them and not a lot of variety in your stats, uh, which I don't personally enjoy, but appears to be the reality for now. Bragg's also been doing some Minas Tirith runs. He gets about seven scrolls per run. Uh, that's, you know, one and a half legacies uh, up to level 79 per run times 12. So, you know, within a week, week and a half of doing Minas Tirith dailies, you can have your legacies maxed again. Uh, it takes about, I don't know, 30 to 40 minutes to do all three, uh, the Bergsman, the Smith, and the other one that's escaping me right now. And, uh, and uh, you know, I would say from getting all my legacies up to level 79 across, you know, 12 different traits, you've approved each one somewhere on the order of like 2 to 4%, 2 to 4% more damage. 2-4% more shield bubble, 2-4% more, you know, critical rating, things like that. And, uh, you know, across that many different skills, it definitely, I think, can make a bit of a difference. So, um, Minas Tirith Daily is still the most effective, time-effective way to do that, albeit the most boring, unless you're running a lot of featured instances and other cap-level content, which is, you know, a little difficult right now. So, I also caved in and spent some figments of splendor. Uh, I went to the barterer that's outside the boar fountain in Bree, and he had the night elk as well as the whole hobby horse for a thousand figments of splendor. And I had plenty of figments of splendor, and I decided I got tired after 11 years of trying to win a hobby horse on Bragg, doing the daily present every day that the Winter Festival was out almost every day for, uh, it hasn't been out 11 years, probably been out seven or eight years. Uh, with no hobby horse, I was going to spend the, the thousand figments of splendor, and I now have a hobby horse on Bragg. And the Night Elk is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool mount cosmetic as well. Uh, I pulled off another armor upgrade. Someone said recently for the raid, as I mentioned, guards should have 200k morale, 200k tactical mitts. I'm currently at about 170k morale and maybe 145k tactical mitts, so I still have a long road to hoe, but getting there piece by piece. Uh, I've also finished maxing my allies again, as I mentioned. And the other thing I did that was kind of interesting is um, uh, for the cosmetics that are available in Scarhold, I bought a statue of my dear old dad. Balin is sitting, uh, statue stone statue of Balin is now sitting in my Bay of Belfalas lawn home so that every time I can come up, I can give him a little salute and maybe do a sniff. It's good to see a touch of dad around the house. Besides that, I haven't, haven't really taken too many cosmetics. I did spend some coins of Grarik on some of the, the dwarven tiles for the walls and floors in the house that really made a big difference in spiffing things up. So recommend those when you, when, and if you have them, my mini, um, my mini was leveling from since last I talked from 116 to 120. I did an Utters B six man group for generating wealth, deeds, and essences, of which there were no purples, only only greens. But I did get almost two levels um, running around in circles and 
and killing everything at utter speed with a group at one point. I completed the epic book for the second class trait point. The other one I got from leveling to 120. I completed the Iron Hills, moved on to Dom Gru, the Anvil with... Uh, I found a... Just as I was getting into the Anvil, which is, I think, one of the more dangerous areas of the uh, Hills of Edward Mithen, um landscape, I found a partner who was just coming up into the, the cut of the draw, same as time as I was, and we partnered together. And it was so much easier. We kind of ransacked our way through the Anvil. I didn't have to be nearly as careful. So that was a nice uh, fortuitous circumstance. Uh, finished Scarhold, Thornhold, Glimmerdeep, then Storwall. Interesting to note, now that I've been through with the third tune, I'm starting to get more into a rhythm of uh, progression of quests in Arid Mithrin. One thing you'll notice is that Durin brings you up to the walls of Stormwall and then says, hey, let's turn back. And then as you go further west uh, and go into Glimmerdeep, you are led there as well from the uh, the Journal of uh, Bori, or Borin, uh, and <laughs> woo, grime edit that out, will you? No, I'm not taking around. Um, so you you end up in Glimmer Deep, and you solve some mysteries surrounding uh, the Journal of Born that then lead you back to Stormwell and the Caverns of Thrumfall instance. So it's, I think it's just interesting that Glimmerdeep comes first, which is farther west, and then has you going back to Stormwall in order to go in and, and find the Caverns of Thrumfall. And the story reason for it does make sense, but I, I didn't follow it. Uh, you know, the first once or twice through, I didn't really gain the context of why that was, and now, now I get it. So... Um, when you're at Stormwall and Durin says turn back, you can go up and find some landscape quests that get active as you enter that area. But it makes a lot more sense to wait until you're through with Glimmerdeep and then return and do them at the same time that you will go into the instance there. And uh, it's one of those areas where Stormwalls can be a little dangerous depending on what class you have in there. Um, a lot of dragons, a lot of uh, stuff breathing fire at you. Um, you know, it does have that instance door there so that if you get into trouble, you can run into it and shed all everything that's chasing you and then come back out and start fresh. Uh, you know, those barriers are useful for that sometimes. A little trick that you can use in Lotro. So, so basically, my mini is now running dailies in Arid Mithrin, uh, which is a lot faster than I've done it with my guard and my cappy. And, uh... You know, if you can get a partner to run with you through those dailies, you can do each one in, you know, about, you know, half an hour. You can do all four easily. Uh, I would say, you know, each one is, you know, um, each one, some of them are longer than others, but uh, you can do each one in about 10 minutes or less, uh, some of them faster. So if you have a partner, you can just blaze through those and you can generate a good deal of tokens, like 75 to 85 tokens uh, if you're doing the scourges with a partner in you know in that period of time which is a pretty good return and i just think you know i was doing these for a while solo everybody should get a partner for these things it's so much easier so much better uh i'm gonna call for one every time i try to do them now um so i you know i put on a slayer deed accelerator for a full partner run with all four instances and then went out with time remaining uh, so this you know there are slayer deeds that are good for inside the instances uh, so it's easier to get those done if you're running through them with a Slayer Deed Accelerator. 
And then I had uh, time left on the accelerator when I was done with Vol 4 Interesting, so I went out with the time remaining and completed the Slayer Deeds for the region, which include Beasts, Dragonkind, Ungoladane, and Gundabad Orcs. And I found the best place, you know, for Beasts, uh, you can get them everywhere. That one was easy to, to do because I'd already done so much on landscape. Um, Dragonkind was easiest uh, to to, you know, there's a couple different areas, obviously, they're heavy with them, but the anvil, of, you know, the anvil area is rife with them. The, the Angoladane, they have a little, um, little village that's northwest of Thornholt on top of the hill there in the ruins. And then the Gundabad Orcs, I found the easiest to grind in Glimmerdeep. So my mini was able to upgrade a number of different pieces of jewelry. Um, I bartered for a Rune of Binding which was, uh, so there are three runes now available from the barterers in Arid Mithrin, which are an improvement over the ones that were available in Gorgoroth. And uh, so I upgraded my rune of binding, and uh, which gave me a nice little jump on some of my healing skills. And I also um, was able to use my woodworker to create some new instruments for my minstrel. Uh, I usually keep one healing instrument and one DPS instrument. Um, I like to have them different types of instruments so it's easy to know which one I have on and which one I don't without having to mass over them. Right now my latest configuration is I keep a harp for healing and I used to use a Therobow for war uh, left over from back in the days when Therobow was the war weapon until they changed it to every instrument being able to be everything. Uh, but I tried a bassoon just for kicks just to see if it would what it would sound like and if it would be different. Um, the interesting thing is that the bassoon noises are not coming through in combat like the other instruments are. So I don't know if that's maybe a defect. Uh, like if I if I got a cowbell or a harp that I, I have equipped and I'm doing uh, my skills for my minstrel, I hear that harp or I hear that cowbell and uh, in combat and I'm not hearing the bassoon right now. So I wonder if that's maybe uh, an issue that they haven't fixed yet. Um, so the woodworker recipes for the new instruments I got from the Scarhole Barterers as well. You need to be kindred to get those recipes, but the recipes are not bind on acquire, so you can get them. The first tune you have that uh, becomes kindred can barter for the recipes and then pass it down to any of your other alts, because uh, my woodworker is my hunter, who is not an Arid Mithrin yet and has not started rep grinding for the dwarves yet at all. Uh, but was, you know, fully capped out at the last tier of crafting uh, in, in Mordor, coming out of Mordor. So, uh, so could read the recipe and use it once it was acquired for him uh, by my other tunes who were kindred. Does that make sense? I hope so. I'm not going to spend any more time on it, so there you go. My Cappy achieved kindred for dwarves in the Northern Kingdoms. He's been saving up tokens for his teal armor pieces and uh, crafted an essence and upgraded my boots for the 250 tokens for my teal boots. Uh, there's one other teal piece available. It's the pants, I think, that you can get from that vendor. And the rest, if you want teal, you got to go to the embers guy. Uh, he's been doing the four instance, four resource instance runs um, and upgrading to tier 11 and tier 12 essences wherever possible. Uh, he's, uh, when I, he first started out, uh, I was doing the resource instances in yellow because it was, you know, he wasn't full, you know, wasn't geared at y'all all yet and, and, uh, wasn't quite up to it, but now I'm doing them in red. And as long as I'm careful, he's able to do them in red, which is a little faster. 
But again, I recommend uh, going in there with someone else and duoing them. Um, the last two days running, I was able to pair him up with a high-powered hunter and do all four instances in the time it might take my Cappy alone to typically do one of them. Including the Scourges, which are hard to solo. I, I can't solo them on some of my tunes, um, which uh, is 20 extra tokens if you do the four Scourges, one five for each uh, Scourge in each instance. So, you know, as I'm running around with the Hunter, I can barely keep up most of the time since he's one-shotting almost everything. <laughs> uh, which, you know, got me about 85 tokens in maybe 35 or 45 minutes uh, at worst. But he did need me to help through the Scourges, and I did have my Blade Brother on him and stuff, so he was getting bonuses, even if I was not contributing that much to, uh, to the damage that was being done. Um... Let me see what else. So my Cappy joined an Anvil of Winterstith raid. A uh, person was advertising saying, hey, casual raid for noobs, casuals, and first-timers. Everyone join. Um, so people quickly joined up for that. There's not a lot of big people that have been willing to do that. He was right up front saying, I don't know the raid. I'm not that well-geared. I'm not going to be a great leader. I just want to come in and see it. Anyone that wants to do it with me, let's give it a shot. So what did I learn? First of all, there are flags for each section that reset weekly. Uh... Tier 1, um, you can do more frequently. Tier 2 or 3, I think, is once per week that they reset. Uh, there's three poles of trash to clear before the first boss, and they're all puggable. Uh, the first boss is interesting design. Another wingless dragon that looks kind of like an Ankylosaurus. Uh, as he flails around the ice field, he creates uh, there's these giant ice spike fields that get thrown down from dragons flying above that can separate and spread the parties out if you're not ready for them and that are deadly to walk through. I think they have like, you know, like 20 or 30k uh, damage per tick if you're standing inside the ice fields. So the idea in the first one is supposed to separate the boss from the ads that come out and when the boss arches his back uh, run, because that's usually means he's going to do like a giant AoE melee attack. Uh, so looks like uh, ranging him down might be the smartest strategy while a tank is doing some kiting and another tank has the other ads. Um, the next gateway, if you get past this boss, seems to go inside the uh, the glacier itself. So it might be kind of Shades of Suri Saryama. We'll see. Uh, and then I had a vision. I said, I don't, I don't think they've done this, but you know how Thargathal is supposed to be the, you know, the dwarven Eldorado, the lost city of Mithril. And, you know, no one's found it. What if it had actually been buried beneath the Anvil Glacier itself? I mean, it would explain why it had not been found. And also why dragons emerged initially. The dwarves maybe delved too greedily and too deep. So, you know, maybe they unleashed the dragons and then the dragons, uh, in retribution against the dwarves, froze the whole thing over into the giant glacier. So, as far as I know, that's not what's revealed in this raid, but I think that's maybe a... A great story idea that was missed if that's not something they followed up on. Alright, next up for my cappy is Minotirit Dailies. He's the next one up uh, cycling through to get his legacies up to top gear. Uh, we'll be running them again and again and again. My lore master has been sitting idle. He might be the next on the leveling curve. My Borg is at 117 doing nothing. My hunter is still doing North Athelian quests including uh, encounter with a certain variag named Jer Thulheim, which I'll talk about in a couple minutes. My Bjornik's still at 108, my champ's still at 71. My RK is 60 and has been summoned by the Golden Host. I actually healed on my RK two, um, 
two Moria runs, both Phil Gashin and the 16th Hall. No one died but me, so I guess I did okay. Um, I need to learn my personal oh crap buttons on the RK, which I don't know very well yet. And I had a lot of fixing to do to my skill bars as I was running around uh, because they, they hadn't been redone since I'd been reset. Healing is so different on the RK. It really takes a different rhythm. You really got to think ahead about who you want to focus your, your, your hots on before the fights start and things of that nature. And, uh, and I'm hoping to run uh, more Mori instance runs healing so I get a feel for that with my RK a bit more. I got a feeling I was, you know, kind of brute forcing it enough to do well, but not really knowing the class uh, at this point, and certainly a lot of room for improvement. Uh, I did get enough gear where I could trade up to level 6 Deary Moria gear, uh, getting all six pieces from the barters in the 21st Hall, which makes a huge difference. And I also traded up, finally, my legendary items that uh, I'd been using the third age items that I got when I entered Moria. So I traded up for a second age level 60 runestone and a first age rune satchel level 60, um, which is set for mostly heals at this point. So I might want a DPS version down the road, but I think is a huge improvement of where I was and probably good enough for now. My warden 43 and doing nothing. My high elf warden is 20, parked for level 20 skirms and or great barrel runs and doing nothing. Bragg has been idle on the legendary servers at level 24, currently in Ostgaruth. And my Cappy, Broheim, is 35 and uh, finished the western part of the North Downs, quested around Fornost, made it to Rivendell, and then to Tunadir. And I've been questing in Invendim and actually enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, messing around with all the Twilight Estates and the fields outside of Tunadir and uh, around Osferod and uh, doing some of the Oathbreaker stuff around there and have to decide where next. Should I head up uh, to Osferod and do quests around there heading north towards Forkel or should I head... I have a feeling I might take a boat across to Tile Runin and see what our old, uh, our old pal on the island full of salamanders is doing. We'll see. But I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. And other Tokyo news, nothing else much going on. That's enough about what we've been doing in-game. Let's move on to the fourth beacon. You guys know it. Come on, you guys all know it. Aralas. So in Aralas, guess what I am not going to do this week? I am not going to talk about the producer's letter for Lotro in this beacon. Uh, maybe another beacon. Because it doesn't exist. So I had this territory set aside. But instead I will focus on another in our varying uh, episodes of Lotro's Quest highlight segments. The quest itself is called No Battle Left to Fight. It is uh, centered in North Athelion. Which would make it, I believe, uh, level 95-ish. I should look that up. Grime, look that up, will you? No, I'm busy right now. Um, so let me read a little bit of the quest text to give you some background because uh, it's very nice indeed and uh, it does a better job than I could do extemporizing. While exploring the shores of the Anduin, you have discovered a company of Variags camped upon its bank. Upon closer inspection, you realize it is none other than Jarl Gurthilm and his men. Despite your terse interactions in Osgiliath, who the men do not appear immediately hostile and he gestures for you to approach. So you may, as you remember, if you did questing in Osgiliath, you'll find Variag that are outside uh, on the northern end, 
kind of outside the camps that um, uh, basically request a bribe to be able to go on about their business and say they'll leave you alone. So after abandoning the Battle of the Pelennor Fields when defeat was inevitable, a company of Variag seeks to return to Kond and put the war behind them. Jarl Girlthime has asked you to keep the orcs and Easterlings in North Athelion at bay as he and his men travel. He expects a report on your efforts near the Field of Cormalion. So uh, if you go to the Field of Cormalion, um, you won't find them there. Uh, but if you head north, you will find them in a field. And they look visibly shaken as you approach. Um, they are found amidst a field of slain Kundalar. We have been betrayed, he tells us. We were paid half our share to travel to the fields of Gondor, and now the Kundalar have sent assassins to slay us before we could return home. Only the lord that bought our blades could have arranged such an ambush, and his name is Zarkul Kaz. So the Kundalar are proving to be a treacherous race. Uh, you know, nobody loves a sellsword, really, at the end of the day, but uh, to promise men uh, that you will pay them and then kill them so that you don't have to give them the second half of the payment, and you can probably reclaim whatever is left of the first half is not, uh, you know, not typical uh, virtuous behavior. So um, they tell us, we have no time to waste. Every moment we delay allows Zahil Kaz a chance to bolster his defenses or flee, yet he is fool enough to have camped within these very lands. He camp dwells in a camp called Uyahujam in the slopes of the Mountains of Shadow, which turns out to be close to our camp, the host in the wastes coming up so uh basically you follow the roadway northward towards daggerlad and you find kundalar kind of killed in various little clumps along the road as as you pass through uh, up the road and you realize these these men have cut a swath across the countryside in their desire for vengeance and you find them in his company near uya hujam at the end of the day the time has come to revenge on Lord Zalhal Kaz. By now we must know we come from his scouts have been slain, his warriors cut down, and his archers split upon the roads. A coward to the last, he would sooner throw his own sons before us than face his death. So uh, basically there's an instance then where you join up with uh, with the Khand, with Jarl Grutham and his men, to slice your way through the encampment. Uh, this is not your battle, he tells us, so you do not think that you must aid us in this final task. If you do, though, you will share in the reward. Will you join us? So, uh, you talk to Jogatherm, and he asks you if you're prepared, and you go and slice your way through. And he says, we have won a great victory of the day, and even greater wealth of gold and Kundalar trickets. Those Kundalar dogs have paid for their treachery. Never, never mind the fact that he is one. And now all that remains is the journey home. With such a bounty, our travels would be slowed to a crawl, but we shall live as kings in Khand. You have been an honorable companion, and it is time that you received your reward. So here's one of the interesting parts. Um, they've done some of this in the past. For example, when you're in Winterhome and doing the winter quests, you get to choose whether to shoo the beggars off or to pursue the mayor's corruption, and uh, your reward depends on which side that you take. And... As a bonus for SSG, they, they planned well enough ahead that you can do the quest multiple times to see both outcomes and or win both titles at the end of the day. So in this particular instance, so there's not a lot of cases where this kind of thing is done on the landscape. So I think it's interesting. This quest is a little different in the way it's encountered, um, in the way it kind of traces you across the landscape, uh, in the way it introduces you to characters from Khand, which are not a race that we've seen much of elsewhere, anywhere else in our travels during Lotro. 
you know, con uh, traveling to Kundalar to the to um, the the uh, Empire of Kand is something that could be in our future at some point in a future Locho release. Uh, I'd have to say it might be two or three years off at this point. It's more likely we'll go to Gundabad, we'll go down to Minas Morgul, we'll do the Scouring of the Shire, we'll go to Run based on the latest uh, work that we have. Um, you know, in the Iron Hills, what we've seen there, and, and of course the possibility of hooking up with the Blue Wizards who went that way. Uh, but Kand would be after that, as far as I'm concerned on the map. So uh, Jarl Gurthim could be someone we see down the road. So at the end of the quest, he says, uh, if that's sorted, it's time for my men and I to return from Kand. You keep the company of many great warriors, but do not usher the Dark Lord's power and victory defeat. I hope that you can escape his wrath says, uh, off with you. Your allies might think less of you if you continue to travel with men such as us. And rightfully so. Kind of reminds me of Jax from that uh, perspective. Um, so you have two choices. One is to forego your share of the gold. Uh, but Drugrud will offer you a meager amount of supplies in return, which earns you the title of the tireless benefactor. And if you take that uh, that path, he will tell you, our ways are different, but I cannot begrudge you. You have done much for us, and this is to be commended. You have the bearing of a great warrior, and your allies are lucky to count you among them, even if their cause is nigh hopeless. Here, take these supplies. We can finish our journey without them, and you still have a battle to fight. But if you elect to take the riches from him, if you tell him you'd be glad to accept your share of the Kundalar gold, then he says, you surprise me. Perhaps we're more alike than I thought. Ha ha ha. There was a light in your eyes during the battle with the Kundalar, and not all of it came from the shimmering gold. If that is your wish, consider it done. He has divided the shares and yours in his keeping. Speak to him, and it is yours. And the guy says, you take your gold? I must admit, I wagered a small portion of my share that you would refuse it. I suppose there's more sorting to be done, then. Gertha must be delighted. We do not battle without the promise of rewards, and with all that you have done, you should consider doing the same. So as promised, here's your share. And they hand you... Ten gold in five gold bags, along with the title The Opportunist. So what do I like about this quest? There's an opportunity for role-playing in it. Um, you know, making the choice that behooves your character's background. There's a kind of even-handed portrayal of NPC characters showing shades of gray, where they're not, you know, they have their, they are cell swords, but they possess kind of an honor after a fashion suitable to their own profession. And... Uh, you know, there's an opening for characters that we may meet again in Khan to may blend into our story. Also, the uniqueness of the reward. Ten gold was not huge, but not bad at the time that the waste came out. Um, and was a nice chunk chunk of pocket change. How things have changed now. Ten gold is like next to nothing almost. But, uh, but an interesting quest. And if you travel through Athelion on your way to the wastes and the camps of the host, you might want to consider making the acquaintance of Jarl Gurlthim. Hey, it beats ten, kill ten rats. Am I right? That brings us to the fifth beacon of Ben Rimon. And now for the original weekly sponsor segment, this week's show is brought to you by FlexCram. Hi, Phil Swift here for FlexCram, the delicious way to coat, seal, and stop leaks fast. Just a quick shot and FlexCram fills in cracks and holes while remaining virtually delicious. 
This Dale-based rubberized biscuit seals and protects without costing an arm and a leg. Protecting your cart, wagon, or boat has never been easier. To show you the satisfying sealing power flex cram, we replace the bottom of this boat with dragon glass, drilled over a hundred holes and cover them in flex cram. Not only does it stay afloat, but flex cram keeps all the water out of the boat, and you can still see it. You can still eat it in a pinch. It's perfect for countertops, windows, and tubs. With flex cram, everything in plain sight can be sealed watertight. Don't waste time and money fixing leaks the old-fashioned way. Get flex clam from your Hobbit presence today for free. Flex cram is guaranteed to coat, seal, and stop leaks fast, even in your stomach. But hold everything. We're going to double your order and send you two Hobbit presents filled with cans of flex cram. Now you can get the incredible power of flex cram, an original bright for surfaces of Arendelle's light, and flex cram for everything in sight. Two cans of flex cram and our guarantee is clearly the most amazing deal in Dale. And it's all yours for just 1,999 mithril coins. So call now. That brings us to the sixth beacon of Callanhad. And for this beacon, we are premiering once again a number in our long-standing tradition of top ten lists. The top ten list for this week is the top ten things they probably won't say in the producer's letter. Things that you may not see in the producer's letter. Number 10, go Rams. SSG is centered in Beantown, I believe. Number 9, we just hired 10 new developers to accelerate our 2019 roadmap. Number 8, we are scaling the rift. Yes, these are things you will never see in the producer's letter. Number 7, we have a new progression server that will only be starter zones forever. Probably the Shire. Number six, loot boxes were a bad idea. We are going to start dropping keys for every epic quest you complete going forward. Uh, number five, 2019 is the year of PVMP. All PVMP balance map updates and new classes will comprise all of our planned updates. Number four, the 64-bit server will be ready by February and should resolve all outstanding lag issues for everyone. Number three, we are porting the game to mobile platforms. Expect it in the App Store and on Google Play shortly. Number two, virtual reality is the future of Lotro. Think Ready Player One meets Renfair. Number one, we will be wrapping up all existing storylines with a mega raid in the next update featuring the following bosses, all to be challenged within the confines of Bilbo's Haunted Burrow. Mordrith, Barangos, Urudani, Harazgur, Lareth, Ugrakor, Vethug, Wintermind, Shelob, Rook the Mighty, and of course, Cordovan. Yes, indeed. The top ten list of things you won't see in the producer's letter. Hopefully, we'll find out shortly just how correct I am. That brings us to Halifurian. Ugh, this dwarf needs another ale. Ah, sorry we ran out of time to restart the podcast. It's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially slamming the door on the 95th episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plots, plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for a la peanut butter sandwiches. Facebook or Twitter, bragsonofbalan, or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request that you take the time to create an iTunes review like Palm Day Air did. If perchance you're so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forsake my legendary dwarven acromegaly, I will try to include them in the next podcast or release respond in some way. So, I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your flex cram in Middle-Earth. 
This is Bragg, the son of Balin, reminding you that if it ain't Baruch, don't fix it. And if you find you are soloing the Howling Pit when a tentacle dangles you in midair, a la the Watcher, don't despair. Light the beacons. Uh, five episodes to number 100, folks. So get ready. And if you want to see something or hear something or do something about it, please give me a shout out. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. And stay warm out there. There is a polar vortex moving down from Forakel. I think we got to get up there and take out the sorcerer that's uh, plaguing that uh, that skirmish, whatever the heck it's called. Talk to you soon.